Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. I'm joined today by Phil Savage. I'm Philip War. And I'm Samuel Roberts because I forgot to say my own name. So that's a good start, isn't it? Um, it's better than the last start. <laughs> that's very true, which will probably be on the end of this podcast if Phil's editing it. That's right, Phil. The last episode, you put a little bit at the end. I'm I, feeling uh, dragged right now. <laughs> so yes, I uh, listen to the end. There might be an Easter egg. There might not be. We, we will see. Um, but yes, um, we're going to talk about PC games as is our way. We're not going to have a question segment uh, this week. We're going to save up the questions and do a kind of melee of them. Melee? Is that the right <laughs> Smorgasbord. <laughs> yeah, smorgasbord. Yes, Tony Ellis' favourite word. Um, yeah, we will um, uh, we'll, uh, stack those and then we'll talk about them on a preview, a previous in a future episode. It's going well, isn't it? Um, so we're just going to talk about the games we've been playing because we've got quite a few this week. Um, so mm. shall we start with you, Pip? And uh, we can, yes. Let's, let's start with <laughs> what I wrote down as Pip Push Paradise, but is in fact Pipe Push Paradise, right? Indeed. Mm. Uh, it's one of the games that I was assigned, I think I was assigned, or maybe I assigned it to myself uh, as part of the IGF awards process. And it's not actually out until early next year, but I was having a nice time to the extent that you always know when you're having a good time with those games when you find yourself playing it in your spare time mm. right um and so i think it was so to describe it like when i wrote about it on pcgamer.com um a bunch of the comments were like but why didn't you mention pipe mania <laughs> and it's like i get where the the urge to invoke pipe mania comes from because the game is about connecting one sort of bit of a pipe to another across multiple pieces um but the actual method of interaction was so different to what you do in a 2d pipe mania style Mm. game that it just didn't feel like a necessary or sort of helpful way of describing the game so um it's actually a lot closer to something like um uh steven sausage roll or um oh alan hazelden's snowman game that is completely um yeah, a good it's, snowman is hard to build. Yes, that's the one. Um, because you have these small... Um, oh, sorry. These small uh, spaces in which to manipulate these pipes and you can roll them around and obviously when they're just sort of a, a one-by-one sort of straight block that is just connecting two points at either end, there's no 3D real element to that yeah. but then as soon as you get into l shapes and s shapes you can sort of make it so that they parts of them are in the air like uh, and you start needing to roll them around in ways that uh, can bypass obstacles or that you use to sort of push things that are on higher like levels that you can't reach as the player uh, because you're sort of confined to the ground floor and then you start finding um like pitfalls that you have to bypass without you know getting blocks like lost in them and things like that so it's very much more about that way of dealing with space and sort of spatial puzzling which is why i think it's the stephen sausage roll sort of way of talking about it is the more helpful Mm. um it's not as difficult as stephen sausage roll i would say it's somewhere in between um 
because nothing in the universe is as hard as Stephen's sausage roll. Yeah, that was an interesting game <laughs> that a lot of people really loved, and I think I completed one puzzle. Not I'm for still lack chipping of away at it mm. at various really? points. Okay. I wonder whether it's the sort of game that you'll get an op-ed from me in 15 years' time when I'm <laughs> like, I have finally <laughs> completed that game. <laughs> At that point, of course, op-eds are experienced via augmented reality and are no longer on a monitor that you can read. But, They're just yeah. delivered as like dramatic pieces by Pokemon that you collect <laughs> as, as you sort of wander around the world. Yeah, that's right. A carrier bag with a face will deliver this to you. Sorry, Phil, you're going to say fine. something. I was just, that is a game that does not give a shit about the idea of gently introducing a topic to you via by a short introductory. I mean, I guess it does to an extent, but the, the gentle introduction <laughs> is still far beyond my capacity to complete a thing. It's a weird one, isn't it? And like sometimes you feel the smartest person in the universe because you have completed puzzle 2. No, or I didn't you that, have but. worked out like but you know what I mean, or but the rest of the time you just feel miserable mm. and, and sort of uh, weirdly like claustrophobic and oh, yes. Mm. And, and this is a game that people like. So, uh, Stephen Sausage Roll, I really did like it, and I do like it, and mm. I think it does some amazing things. It's just it's such a particular strand of gaming. It's like maybe it's to puzzle gaming what Dark Souls is to to people who play RPGs, right? It's like more of an extreme. Right. Mm. Um, and also, like... Weirdly, I, I also ended up playing for the IGF the uh, Bennett Foddy thing. I really like that one. Um, which I really like, but again, it's a, it's a thing which hates you and mm. does not wish you well. <laughs> and, so this is um, this, getting over it with Bennett Foddy. Right, um, so this had like the most comments in the IGF list. It, it, <laughs> yeah. so, and I, I looked at it and I read a little bit about what people were saying and they said something weird about the soundtrack and I thought... Or something strange that the game does, and it made me think well, that's probably not. I'm probably not going to enjoy it's that. It's a kind that's... of meta commentary by Bennett Foddy, like the the it sort of plays out at various points, and it right. sort of talks to you about things that you might be doing. It's kind of like this weird cross between like life advice and taunts. Yeah, it's. <laughs> um, I guess it's like um, what was what was the game by. <laughs> Stanley Parable. What was the game by the Stanley Parable guy that wasn't Davy Reardon? Um, the one with um, Doctor Langerskov. Oh right. <clears throat> um, no, Davy Reardon did Beginner's Guide. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, oh, I'm was, thinking of the other um, one. William Pugh. Pugh yeah. Did. No. Um, so Davy Reardon's Beginner's Guide. So it's got a bit of that to it, where it is essentially narrating game design principles to you, but it also it straddles a weird line between trying to be encouraging or trying to sort of help you past your failures by you know just talking about the nature of persistence and things and also actively kind of taunting you a bit okay. mm. um, so it's an interesting experience where I think people like it for a bunch of reasons maybe they'll like it because it's hard and they actually want to try and get further in a kind of like screw you to to like all opposition I guess um, I actually quite liked it because I quite liked that feeling of managing my own rage if you see what mm. I mean like I didn't actually get cross but I could feel the capacity for it so I was actually kind of enjoying being on that cusp you know of of sort of still managing to make incremental progress but also being so aware that I could just lose my temper at any moment and being pleased that I wasn't yeah I, mean, <laughs> I think it's good at sort of 
putting you into that state because it's upfront with you about what you're going to get and the, has the things for you when you great. do like yeah it sort of it, it drags you along it's punishing difficulty quite well mm. i think the tags actually like it was interesting because um i think someone had tagged it as massacre yeah. which i quite liked that's I, I hadn't why i didn't heard download that phrase it right before. yeah now i remember yes <laughs> but i also quite like it, it's weird physics-y model it's quite fun to just hit a wall and go flying up in the air and stuff it's quite nice <laughs> yeah quite a nice interaction so. sometimes you can accidentally like get into a flow with it and yeah. then you feel like oh yeah no that's totally on me and i'm doing really well <laughs> no <laughs> is igf over now or yes. It yeah. is, yeah. it so, is. so it's too late to grab it i guess yeah although it, i is it actually out now in general because it was part of the humble I monthly think thing it was because we oh, wrote right. about it on the site a little while ago so yeah, i think well, it, it it was part, part of something. Yeah, it was part of Humble Monthly, and I think it was exclusive to that for a month or so for oh, people okay. who are subscribed right. to that. But mm. it might be on general sale now. Okay. Um, I quite yeah, like the idea stuff like that in yeah. Humble Monthly. They just gave away Shadow Tactics, actually, as part of their thing, that's which is very, very hard to get for less than £20. Mm. Pounds, yeah. So it's actually yeah. quite a good deal. And that's how um, Tom Francis's uh, like game between uh, Gunpoint and Heat Signature was released, wasn't it? Like initially, Morph Blade. Oh, oh I, don't know. I don't know. I yeah. should know that. <laughs> I do not know that. <laughs> it's quite an interesting way of, like, I don't know, uh, buying and. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, good way of getting some interesting things in front of a bunch of people, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I, I will try and check this out then. Like, uh, if, it's, if it's out, I'll just grab it on the, on the press account and give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> I guess while we're on the IGF, did anybody. Anybody check out any other good things? I guess I should talk about Into the Breach. Oh, talk um, about Into the Breach. Which uh, <laughs> was featured in the IGF, and we covered it before on the website when we launched the Indie Channel. It's the first uh, sort of flagship article, I guess. We mm. were the first to get hands-on with it. And uh, it's from the creators of FTL, uh, Subset Games. And it's, it, it, it's, at, it's both like a different proposition and actually quite similar to FTL in some way. So... The art style is very similar. Mm. Um, certain things about the menus and interface are, are similar, and there are certain things about upgrades and uh, the kind of the journey, your, your, the kind of skill curve that's similar to FTL as well. Um, but the premise is different. So you, uh, if you've seen the Tom Cruise film Edge of Tomorrow, you, there are these uh, aliens called the Vec that are invading Earth, uh, presumably Earth. I think it's Earth, mm. um, and you have to uh, defend Earth from them and you essentially have to keep the power on so this is um like a ticking meter in the top left hand side of the screen or just that is always kind of going up or down depending on uh what happens in in like a, a battle so each there's a there's like five islands and each one has um is divided into these zones um click on a zone you get in and then you kind of go into like a like a onto like a square an isometric square and essentially it's a very short um, turn-based strategy battle. Um, yeah, so the, you, you choose where to drop your, your guys and then you see where the aliens are and then um, you kind of go from there. So you have you have three units, which the starting units are like a mech, a tank, and an artillery. So they have different range and different functions. And yeah, you um, it's, it's once you've reached, you've got, I think it's like five turns you have to survive for. Mm. Um, and then once you've once those five turns are over, the aliens retreat, or if you've done really well, you've wiped them all out anyway, and the the match is over. Um, and it's it's really interesting because the so each each map so it's a grid based map, and there's a strong uh, element of like pushing enemies back um, to it. So the mech uh, the mech starts with a punch that 
can knock an enemy back. Mm. And if you knock one enemy into another one, then that can do damage to both of them. Um, but also... Uh, well, you can knock them into like the sea and things as well, can't you? Yeah, you can drown enemies by knocking them to the sea. And then later on, there are there's things like mines. You can knock an enemy onto a mine, that'll blow them up. There are ice mines later in the game as well. Um, that will freeze them, and they won't become unfrozen unless someone else attacks them. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a very... I, I, I think I underestimated when I first started playing it how important that was, but it's it kind of ends up being everything. Um, the other thing is that uh, in between turns, new enemies will spawn, and it will show you on the map where they're going to spawn, what square they'll spawn on. And if you can knock an enemy on top of them, um, then it will block the enemy from spawning in the next oh, right. turn. And um, and also do damage to that enemy, mm. um, and you too can also um, put your units on top of those blocks to stop enemies from spawning and take one damage if you think it's worth it. Um, so it's really um, it's quite a lot going on there, and there's uh, a whole element of um, upgrades uh, to it as well. Once you reach the end of an island, um, you've got these you accumulate these reputation points that you can then spend on better weapons and um, uh, upgrades like health and things like that. Mm. That's quite similar to FTL in that you spend money on power and then you choose where to invest that power per unit um yeah and then there's a, a another kind of wacky element to it which is that if you uh if you lose if you all the power goes out while you're playing a match or indeed at any point in the game at mm. any time you can um hop out of that timeline and reset to where you were sending one of your um pilots back in time um with their experience points intact, and that's important because they have. I think there's like, I think there are three different levels they can upgrade to, but they'll they'll carry different buffs like better defense and things like that, and mm. um, they'll or they'll be uh, they'll have they can move more squares that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you can. You, there's a persistent element there where if you send that person back in time, then yeah, you've got a bit of an advantage going into your next game. Um, yeah, so it's really it's really interesting. Um, really intricate but what's what's great is that the the turn-based uh, battles themselves are very are very are nice and brief like they're very easy to get to grips with um and i i, I really I, I like that it's involved but also very simple to play uh much like ftl i guess um it's yeah there's there's a lot of depth there but very simple to grasp you've mm. played a little bit of it right pip yeah, I uh, I started playing it uh, earlier today actually, just to take a look. Um, mm. And the thing that I really like about it was because I'd sort of I'd been listening to people talk about it for a long time now, but I'd always been a bit put off because I find that things like that, even though I love puzzle games, I find that sort of turn-based strategy stuff gets really unwieldy really quickly in a way that I don't enjoy. Yeah. Mm. But the fact that this seems to involve such small sort of play areas and, you know, um, it only lasts a handful of turns and, you know, things behave in this sort of manageable way. Uh, even though you can obviously then set up all of these complicated, like, domino effects of your attacks or, you know, like, sort of planning ahead for... Because you can also see where the enemy is going to attack as well, so you can like shove them so that what they do hits a mountain instead of a civilian population. Um, and so, I, I I just think that there's enough information there to be um, not overwhelming, but there's enough um, th there are enough systems at play to make it still rich, mm. which is something that I think I've 
struggled with because I think I I was picturing something more in the vein of like XCOM or something where it just gets so yeah overwhelming. I, well, it does interest me. Like the idea that it's about very short. Like surviving five turns is a very different proposition to hunt down and murder an entire map of aliens. Yeah, but yeah, I guess it just gives them the scope to go super super in depth with like the amount of interactions you can have within those five turns. Yeah. And there's a strong amount of variety in there as well because you're given bonus objectives for every mm. part of the map that you take back from the aliens and they can involve things like protecting a particular building, like a bar or a power plant or a corporate tower. You'll see them on the map, you'll know what they are. Um, and it, or, or like your mech taking less than four damage and in uh, by doing that you'll get extra power that's added back onto your total so mm. you're a bit closer a bit further away from a game over and uh, or you'll get extra reputation points um, which you can obviously spend on more more better stuff so um, yeah there's uh, each each game feels a bit different it's not it's uh, it's randomized maps as well but even I think maybe it's because of the scope of it, it even though it's randomized it still feels handcrafted um to a large extent so they've obviously thought quite hard about that and mm. like pip says like the um it's really it will just tell you at any point what a given tile would do so like a forest tile um if it sets on fire uh, it can set on fire if there's like an attack happens on it and then if you end your turn on that tile then you'll lose one health that sort of thing mm. um so yeah it communicates very clearly what you need to do and um yeah, yeah, it's a, a great little formula they've happened across there. And the tutorial was really good at drip feeding the information as well. Like it wasn't just a kind of that overwhelming feeling of oh, there are numbers everywhere <laughs> and there's a graph and the oh, what is this thing over <laughs> here? It was very much like okay, here's your energy requirement. I'm just going to teach you one um, one ally and one enemy for the moment. The enemy is like you know looks like a giant beetle, so that's fine. Like <laughs> it was like yep, nope, that, I can deal with that. That's not just some sort of robo thing that instantly makes my mind start to wander I'm, I'm here i'm here for beetles you know <laughs> and then you know it's like oh but look at this thing there's now a grasshopper of some kind perhaps or like a flying thing I was like, oh okay yeah no still still paying attention great <laughs> yeah absolutely so it gives you enough to kind of go on and then you just you pick up the rest as you go so i'm now you know very into the idea of trying to make like because you see what an alien's attack will do right. um, the, in their turn, you can um, you can then yeah knock one enemy to attack two of their, two of their own kind um, just because it'll be aiming in that direction, and so that's another way to clear off the board and deep, deeper into the game you get some quite uh, pretty powerful enemies that can um, do like let's say four damage in, yeah. uh, in uh, both uh, like left and right, so that can be very useful. Um, if you can knock it into, if you can block that attack with enemies, um, and if it hits your buildings, then you're probably done for. So it's quite quite interesting that you um, every turn really does matter. Mm. Um, some handy things that they do as well: you can undo moves um, before you've done an attack, which is very useful. And once this is a really a really great idea. Once uh, a match, you can reset your turn entirely. If you think you can achieve a better outcome than what oh, you're cool. about to what you're oh. about to execute, um, so I, I use that. I'd say like seventy percent of the games I've used that, and only once have I got a worse result at the <laughs> end of it, and that caused a game over, and I, I was filled with regret. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very cool. So I'm at the at the very beginning stages of it, and I'm only just experimenting with things like 
you know, punching an enemy so that it's next to another one, so that when my artillery fires, it will affect, you know, it will push things away in a particular way. So, like, I'm starting to just knit things together, but you've been playing for a fair few hours now, so I'm wondering, like, how it holds up over time, because like, I'm aware that I might be in the in the sort of, you know, the initial love affair, and then... <laughs> I, I, I think it gets better and better. I, okay. abso- I absolutely love this game. I um now because I thought that when your you your unit gets destroyed, um let's say like and and then one of your pilots die, that's it. Mm. But um it's not. What happens in the next game is your pilot is gone. And that pilot can no longer gain experience, but an AI is controlling the mech. Um mm. so while it doesn't have the bonuses necessarily, like you can still upgrade the mech without the pilot and and have it be useful. And I found myself basically using my um artillery guy got killed really early on and so i basically just um made the artillery really powerful i gave it no extra health and it just became like my suicide weapon it was was cannon fodder essentially i just like i'll use it for as much long-range fire as possible when i need something to be blocked (laughs) it's just going to get in the way because the next game i'll just get another ai it won't matter that it's been destroyed Mm. and so that's you know that's a kind of on the fly strategy that I've 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 developed developed through learning its systems like keeping pilots alive is no longer that precious and um yeah so in your personal in-game lore did you tell that pilot's family about this or are you just sending this mech to all of their family gatherings <laughs> and like, it's like oh it's auntie so-and-so like but in a mech suit forever now <laughs> well that doesn't that doesn't come up admittedly but the um <laughs> But the really the, but it it because you can only send one pilot back in time, two of them are pretty much disposable at all times, um, because you can't take them with you. <laughs> wow. So it's in your best interest to keep them alive because um, you know they level up and they they can give you plus two health to your mech or certain bonuses. So and that... because they're humans and valuable <laughs> to you, sounds so. a very pragmatic leader. <laughs> You're going to find that out about it. <laughs> Thank goodness I work on the magazine, not the website. <laughs> Well, that's the thing that you can we re- check in with Joe every morning, just yeah. in case. This is this is true. Actually, you can you can rename. <laughs> Tom Senior's just been a mech for three years. Now. I explain a lot. <laughs> you can rename your units, right? And uh, I didn't bother because I thought it won't be worth it. They'll be dead in ten minutes anyway. <laughs> wow. Which is very bleak. So it's like XCOM, but they're even more expendable. Um, so, My so yeah. First person's called Pipples. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Pipples will. You know, you can keep people alive for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite devastating when you lose all of your units and you didn't hit uh, exit timeline like quickly enough. Um, I think they call it temporal shift or something like that. They would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you um, don't have to. <laughs> the other thing to note as well is that the um, the the deeper you get into the game, you you don't just play as that those three units. You there are loads of different um, unit types and factions. I think so. Um, by doing uh, unlocking certain achievements that they give you, say let's say um, you uh, n- drown five enemies by knocking them to the sea, mm. um, or you do like a uh, you move five tiles, then hit an enemy, um, which is called a charging punch, and you do that because you upgraded your mech. Then that they give you coins that you um, you can then spend to unlock more factions, and it looks like there's about. 15 20 in the um in the menu there's a lot there and so i i don't know how they differ yet yeah um and some of the upgrades are really cool so i've i upgraded my my mech with so he's got the power fist thing which is great uh i gave my mech uh a rock cannon 
which it will fire a rock at an enemy, which will do damage, but then the rock will remain on the field that, and then can be used as cover, essentially. Um, that sounds be... like the rock's role in most things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really it's ludicrous, but it's very cool. And then there's yeah, there's there's a, a pretty wide variety of you know different buffs and stuff you can give to your to your mechs and your your vehicles like smoke bombs that sort of stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm very much in favour of the high concept silly mm. weapons. Um, yeah, yeah, it's sounds good. It's bloody bloody amazing, actually. This uh, yeah. It's fantastic. It's been interesting tracking like how developers have dealt with permadeath, and we went through a phase of like, yeah, everything's a roguelike, and there's like, these hard and fast permadeath systems, mm. and now there's been a lot of trying to tamp down on that, and it's like, well, it is permadeath. But maybe you can take one guy back in time. Yeah, that's or, it. Yeah, it's that uh, you can't take it with you, except for maybe one thing. Which one <laughs> do you want to take thing, with you? Because time travel, hey. <laughs> but like, I mean, usually it's something like. Um, a kind of meta economy that you can spend money from one run to upgrades that affect everything. It's like how Rogue Legacy and stuff like that did it. But FTL like did sound of this, yeah. Yeah, FTL didn't really have a system like that, did you it? You can unlock ships by doing weird challenges, but they weren't really better as much as just interesting different. in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, but like it's it's kind of like FTL if you could send you know, one of your captains or gunners mm. or whatever back in time at the end, at the beginning of each playthrough, and that would be a cool system, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it works. It works really well. And what I like as well is that the um, uh, the AI instead of the humans will kind of quip and say cocky things like, "Yeah, we're going to kill all of you" or whatever. But then the AI will just say, um, "Respect for colleague increased" and things like that. <laughs> I think I think Chris Avalon's been working on like the writing. There's not a lot of writing in there, but the bits of flavor text that are in there are very cool. Mm. So. Um, that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So yeah, like just to in case people have lost the thread, the first game, the puzzle game was Pipe Push Paradise, which is out in January, and the one Sam was talking about is Into the Breach, which I don't think has a release date yet. No, I th- I think it'll just a- arrive at some point very soon. Like mm. I think they've got a few bits they want to tie up still, like the end game. Which they don't want anyone to talk about yet. And I don't even know what it is. Yeah, so. like does it seem like it's Gonna go for some sort of early access tweaking, or are they just gonna go straight for straight? This for is it. done. I have to, uh, this is done. I hope it just comes out in January or something. But mm. um, yeah, I think I I'm hope more... it comes out in February because I want to cover it for the next issue of the Mag, which releases in January. So. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, if you're listening, hold off for a month. No. <laughs> it's really good though. It's got so much potential, and I, I, I must admit I've enjoyed it more than most of the games I played this year already. So yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, okay. That's awesome. Yes. What about you, Phil. Phil. Um, so there was one um, that I got quite into. Um, I don't have loads to say about it because it's quite a story-focused thing, and I only got so far in. But it, uh, Wonder Song, um, okay. which in the comments slash tags was described as having all the feels, which was quite off-putting at first. But I'm going to sort of <laughs> dipped into it because it's quite a it's like a cheerful little adventure game starring a bard who solves oh. all his problems by singing. Yeah, and I think this had like a trailer that did the rounds in a kind of an enthused fashion. I imagine it, yeah, yeah, I imagine so. Um, and um, the singing works like you hold a button and there's a little dialogue wheel style thing, but it's all like colour coded to different notes. Um, and then as you're going along, there's like light platforming where if birds are singing and you match um, the notes the birds are singing, they'll sort of flock to you and boost you as you jump. So oh. you get a high jump and stuff like that. It's full of lots of little interactions by like that. Um, 
And it's quite sort of cheerful and pacefully written and seems very nice. And it's sort of one of those songs, uh, one of those songs, games that has a central interaction that's just quite fun to manipulate. I find myself sort of wandering through the world just randomly hitting notes to tunelessly sing things because it was <laughs> quite fun to do. Mm. Um, and that's largely all I've got to say about it at this point because, like I say, I only got a couple of chapters in and um, there's like there's a lot of things that aren't done yet and a lot of stuff they were like, oh, if you could not avoid talking about this because, you know, we've not finished making it. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I was very sort of charmed by it. Uh, and definitely one to look out for. That'll be early 2018 as well, I think. Okay. So the one question that I have, which hopefully Ooh. will be a thing that you can answer, is so with a load of like point and clicks or whatever, sometimes they stick in like a music puzzle of some kind and you have to maybe remember bars of a thing and play them back or whatever else. And as somebody who does not have a musical ear at mm. all, those are usually the points where I just have to write things down and like you know rely on words and you know knowledge of where the thing is on in the spatial thing to figure them out so is this does this benefit from you knowing anything about music or is um, it can you be tone deaf and play i think it? And i think you'd be okay because um i think it tries to use a bunch of different systems to convey the same information so you have like the notes um but every note on your little wheel is colour-coded, and usually if something's singing, it'll cycle colours as well. Oh, OK. So you can see that. And also, usually, there'll be some sort of positional information, again, which points to where on the wheel okay. you need to point. So there's, there's a, like, it has different ways of playing that information, and it doesn't seem bothered about things like timing or getting the, the exact rhythm down or anything like that. That's um, good to know. So <laughs> Having horrible flashbacks to, like, Luminosity. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, no, no, apparently. Um, <laughs> there were definitely, I mean, like, you know, there were some more complex puzzles as it went in, but I don't remember that being a thing. Um, there were a variety of ghosts that I had to use different. <laughs> a variety of ghosts. <laughs> a variety of ghosts. I had to, they, they um, I think they obscured one element each time just to sort of make a puzzle out of it. But generally, it seemed quite easygoing. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, I, I searched for Wonder Song on Google and I got a Stevie Wonder uh, album. Nice. So, uh, very good. Um, I hope it's called Wonder Song. I'm sure it is. On to more meaningful games then, Phil. You've been playing Need for Speed <laughs> Payback. Um, meaningful. How did you end up playing this? Did we just get a surplus code? Yeah, so you yeah, just thought I'd dive in. But because, like, uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Forza Horizon 3. Yes. And specifically the Forza Horizon 3 to the point that I was quite disappointed by Forza Motorsport 7 mm. just because of how raw cars it was. Yeah. Um, I thought, okay, well, this looks stupid. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting to love it or anything, but I thought, uh, you know, maybe it will be the right kind of absurd mm. to, you know, satisfy whatever racing whatever need for speed I currently had. So, what's the deal with this one? Is it more dramatic uh, storyline? or This one is not. FMV for one thing, um, but it is very story heavy um, to the point that they will interrupt you mid race with cutscenes to set up the next bit of plot or whatever. And um, pacing wise, it's very strange. Mm. Um, I, I, I'll admit I've played maybe two or three hours of it, and not much more than that because I hit a point. It was just like no, no, definitely not for me. 
I have I've consumed this enough that I can talk on a podcast for it, and that is all the value it has to me. I yes. need no more speed. <laughs> Take it away. I have been sated to, to some degree of that term. Um, Surplus so of speed. You are. It's set in not Las Vegas, but Las Vegas, and there is an evil syndicate that is called the House. And oh, I see what they did. Yes. Uh, uh, multiple times, the house always wins. Has been a line of dialogue because <laughs> I, they, you just can't stop yourself. Apparently, Billy. But um, as I said to you, Phil, after you told me that uh, initially, uh, Fallout New Vegas, a game that people in comment threads say is like the best <laughs> RPG ever, has a character called Mister House, and he lives in a big tower in Las Vegas. No, I, mean, <laughs> I take that point. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's not like it's not like they're the only offender. Is what I'm saying. You know? No, fair, and you know. Need for Speed Payback isn't going to be critically acclaimed in no top 100's future. It won't be praised for its, you know, how highly moddable it is and uh, <laughs> yeah, the depth of its, yeah. Probably not. No. Um, although, to talk about the dialogue a bit, it is genuinely awful in a way that, like, surprised me. I know games writing it doesn't always get the, the best rep, but this was another level of just incoherent talking. Um, think of the example so in one example um, what happens what, what happens to set it up you are you, you're with a group of three people all of them tossers in some way or another <laughs> uh, and you've decided you want to steal a car from a man and there is one kind of cool bit where you go and you're racing in this car because there's the guy that you're stealing from has hired you to be in a, a legal street race or whatever. Um, and you're driving around and it's just got the usual race UI and, you know, positioning and checkpoint stuff and all of that. And then at one point, like, there's a brief cut scene and you break off, you know, you get to break off from the pack and actually you, now you're in a sort of escape thing because you break out of the race and steal the car. And that's kind of a, a nice little sort of set piece thing that plays with the, the sort of format of racing games a little bit. And that's it's one clever thing that it does once. Mm. Um, anyway, it all goes wrong, and you betrayed a bunch, and you end up working with the guy that you were trying to steal from for complicated reasons. And there's a point where he's trying to sort of get you to um, be his underling, where he's like, and the police are on the way to come and arrest him, and he's like, you've got two choices. You either come and work for me, or you go to prison. And the character turns to him and goes, do I have a choice? And the guy <laughs> turns back to him and goes, you always have a choice. And it's like, well, and I, this was always obviously a cutscene. I didn't actually have a choice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that would have been too much to ask. But still, the concept of a choice needs <laughs> explaining to this man. Clearly. It's like it's just like cliche after cliche being arranged into various. Later, um, you're working for him, but like he's got you doing grunt work um, and keeps saying he's got the plan to get revenge or whatever. But you get so frustrated by his lack of progress in doing this that you sort of take it upon yourself to do something that you think will have a big effect but is obvious from the start won't actually do anything and is pointless Right. so he does this and it has no effect and was pointless and um, his boss comes up to him and goes no this is what we're actually going to do this is the real plan this is how we take them down and he looks at him and goes count me out this isn't my fight and it's like but it was so much your fight like literally ten minutes ago that you disobeyed orders to go and fuck these people over and now that he's given you a successful way to do that you're saying it's not your fight 
Okay. How does that? And that it just makes no sense. Like yeah. kind of none of these people's motivations are believable, or they're just like these weird clouds of cliche and stereotype. Do you ever wonder who writes this shit? Like, I mean, I, I'm just saying that if I, I think if I had, I genuinely, in the case of that, I think <laughs> That's if I had the credits, <laughs> might <laughs> if I had an afternoon, I think I could write a better, funnier, more interesting script than that, definitely. Or at least, we, if you're gonna go full cliches, I'd probably mine out dad jokes, you know, mm. or like, you know, terrible, stupid things, like, you know, instead of having the moment where you say the house always wins, you have, you know, someone just We're going to have oh. a wheelie good time. <laughs> or, or even just like someone's like, oh, you know, looking at their watch, waiting for lunchtime, it's like, I'm hungry, and then someone looks over and goes, I'm Bulgaria, pleased to meet you, <laughs> you know, in that really awful kind of <laughs> relentless... You just oh, want to write, write airplane again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone just sighs and a race begins. I mean, that's, that's potentially <laughs> being unfair to a scriptwriter here because you don't know how much of these things have got sort of micromanaged to hell yes. and have been like focus tested into blandness. Or and... even just okay, that thing that you wrote is amazing, but could we maybe just make it this mm. other thing? Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. It does become a problem when they want to real like if it was just a bunch of races and there was a crap plot just happening in parallel every now and again, just to sort of smooth you between, which is basically the Forza Horizon thing. I mean, all of those people in that game are hateful, and you want them to die in car accidents all the time. <laughs> but like, it doesn't. Wow. I, don't know, it's, it's, I don't know if you try to work out if that's better or worse than my D grade <laughs> remark about. Um, some people who enjoy Need for Speed. I, I'm, I'm referring to fictional people <laughs> within a video game. I yeah. honestly wasn't expecting to be the best person in the room. <laughs> well, always surprised. You see, game. Oh, I can I can hear someone making a phone call, which always happens halfway through the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll love um, leave what they've said. There's this a room time. of terrible things happening. <laughs> um, okay, then, Phil. Any further thoughts on Need for Speed before um, we um, bury it forever? So, yeah, basically play. Forza Horizon 3 because it does it without sort of getting in its way with all these cutscenes and bad narrative elements and with a better world like the, the other problem is like the world is just very sparse and the handling system is not great and there's, uh, there's just a lot of problems it's not a very good game but hmm. I enjoy writing about it sometimes yeah okay apparently well, on the uh, on the other side of the EA uh, storyline front, I guess I've been playing uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2's campaign mode. Mm. Um, obviously, Battlefront 2 has become a conversation about loot crates, and fairly so because it's a bit depressing when you turn on the game and it goes, "You've got three loot crates to open." It's like, man, I just want to fly an X-wing and you know um, shoot like a stormtrooper in the face. I don't care about this shit. Um, that said, the ongoing conversation about it is pretty depressing mm. because you have to see it every day and it's like oh we write about games but we just have to talk about this now forever because it's what people are interested in but it's just a bit you know weighs you down a bit so yeah. it's interesting switch that off now Didn't just they temporarily it? yes it, yeah yeah but they'll bring it back in some form and it's hard honestly it's hard to to see how they can they just have to completely redo it basically because yeah but hey um, so I've been playing the campaign because I mm. thought this sounded kind of promising uh, when they announced it. This is the thing I was most excited about, which was uh, you play it as the Empire after the Death Star, second Death Star is destroyed at the end of Return of the Jedi, and you see what happens next, basically. And I'm just over halfway into it now, um, I'm told. But I've only been playing it for about two hours. It's not. Oh, wow. It's apparently about four to five hours long, which is tiny, really. Um, it'd certainly be extremely hard to recommend 
buying a £50 game just on that, um, unless you were definitely interested in the multiplayer. Um, but it has its moments. It's um, You play as Iden Versio, who's like... Uh, Kind of like an Imperial Commando who can do both like ground and air assault stuff, and basically like a like the kind of specialist troopers essentially. Um, and yeah, you um, while you're kind of loyal to the Empire, you it's seen as more of an ideology thing rather than you know you're shooting innocent people in the head or whatever the Empire actually do. Um, you know, these people believe in like order and stuff, so you you get some sense of the difference in ideology without necessarily thinking, oh, these are good guys and I should empathise with them. Mm. And I'm now at a point in the story where Aiden's resolve is really tested on that front because her dad is like a general for the Empire and he's a sworn... He'll just do anything the uh, Emperor tells him to do and the um, and Aiden's a little bit warier of that. Um, but it's interesting because it's all told within the framework of the Empire's people, so it's not like she has doubts about going to a rebel homeworld and killing rebels. She doesn't care about that at all, but it's more when it involves her own people being mm. uh, attacked or used or whatever it might be. Like, um, So it's quite interesting. It kind of it shows that there's a few, I guess, shades of grey within that imperial ideology from Star Wars. I mean, nothing like, you know, set the world on fire. It's very, yeah, it's still very easy to uh, digest. It's not it's it's not a particularly involved storyline, um, but the dialogues the dialogue's pretty good and the cutscenes are very well done. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I just wish it was a, a lot longer. Like it feels like it's already winding down and it's kind of just started. I don't mm. I don't know why it's so short. They made such a big deal out of it. It's very bizarre to me that they decided to make it so short. I mean, maybe they just didn't have time to do anything else. I'm not sure. How is the pew pew shooting and mission design and stuff? It's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, there's um. Some bits are better than others. There's uh, one of my favourite uh, parts of the game is there's like a, a platform on top of a base in Endor, so you're kind of rising above the trees, and there are um... the forest moon of Endor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very good, very good, Pip. Um, Chris will be very proud, I'm sure. But of course, he would have turned the podcast off by now. Yeah, be furious about your course. early remark. I know. I was like, no, wait, listen, listen. There's a moment coming up. <laughs> it's cool though because there's loads of. Um, the rebels have uh, taken this base, uh, obviously, because you lost the Battle of Endor, um, and you are trying to make a getaway in these Tie Fighters. So you're, yeah, you, you're just sprinting along this kind of like air platform, taking these guys out, and you you say to your, you know, each of your squad mates, you take this one, you take this one, I'll take the last one. So it's this mad frantic dash to just get into the Tie Fighter and uh, escape into space, and mm. then it's it's really cool. And then like at that point, you're flying through the debris of the second Death Star, which is really nice, and then. The space battles are good. Like it's, um, you don't quite shake the feeling that you're playing in kind of reappropriated battlefront levels. Like it's, it's not wildly different from yeah. from a shooting gallery, I guess. But yeah, there's some there's some good beats in there. Good uh, good set PC beats. So yeah, I just wish it was a bit longer and they mm. had more cutscenes to actually explain motivations and stuff. There's also one pretty terrible bit. We have to fight lots and lots of insects um, that come out of the ground. Uh, for ages, and while uh, a generator powers up that old one, and that is not very oh. Star Warsy at all. You want to power power to an elevator? It's you want to boil a, a kettle and just like tip it in. That's mm. what my mum used to do with ants. Yeah. It's very cruel to think about it, but you know. I mean, it's, it's awful, done. and I wouldn't do it at all. 
<laughs> I, you know, like I don't. I, that's not what I'm advocating for. But I'm just saying, like, as a strategy to to help you. You're already out committed in to the, murdering them all in which a in a video like game, <laughs> where you don't really have a lot of options. Hmm. It's like that whole illusion of choice that Phil was going on about earlier. Like, you there's know, always a choice: prison or ants. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's what, where I'm getting it. Oh, these are some deep philosophical questions, clearly. But um, so is it quite like? how I think of Call of Duty which is essentially that at this point you just don't buy it for a single player like that's a thing that comes with it but yeah. you are there for the multiplayer or it was not a good investment I, yeah basically but I, I I dispute the kind of thinking behind that like I think that's a bad attitude actually um, mm. because if you're go- if you're going to put your character front and centre and she is in the centre of the box yeah. when you buy it like to, for it to just be then so slight I mean, I'm going to finish it first just to make sure that you know, I definitely I feel this way about it. But I don't know, like, four hours, it's not much, is it? Like, I, I mean, you're right, it's, what, a £55 game on Origin? Yeah, like, something like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, their games aren't cheap. And for so much of the pre-released kind of marketing and stuff around that was about the single player. Like, mm. you know, they got on stage at one of the conferences and were like, I remember when John Boyega sent this tweet about us not having single player well we've got single player they made such a big deal of it and the story and the characters and yeah and so it's that thing of like i mean yeah you did put it in there but Mm. you've not done you've not created enough story for it to be worth buying the game on this basis alone so what have you really achieved i mean that's that's maybe a bit harsh just feels i don't know it just feels too slight to me like um it's been a ea's had the uh, Star Wars license for four and a half years. And yeah. This is the first time they've told a story outside of the Old Republic, um, and and that's it. It's just four to five hour campaign, then it's gone. Like I don't know. I, I was I was hoping it'd be a bit more than that. Yeah. I mean, I do think like it behooves them to be honest because there are people who just don't aren't interested in multiplayer who would be interested in a new Star Wars story. Mm. And like it feels like they were kind of upfront about what. Battlefield One's war stories things would be, or they sort of they showed us enough information beforehand that we could kind of say, yeah, look, it's five forty-five minute missions, yeah, and that's it, and that's what they've got. And there was no like, they made a big deal of it, but like, I don't feel, you know, when I started that game, I knew what I was getting into with its single player offering, and I kind of wish there'd been more there because I, I quite enjoyed them mm. as like an idea, and it seemed like the anthology format really suited it for expansion, but. I'd be really interested to... This is one of those things that we'll probably never know because of NDAs or whatever, Mm. but I'd be really interested to know how that sort of thing shook out in terms of LucasArts' control and and Disney's sort of control over over things because Star Wars, just as a general franchise, the people who, who are in charge of it have made, to my mind, some odd decisions about what is canon and what isn't and mm. what they've retconned and what is official and what they're willing to sort of put their names to in in odd ways and so I I can't imagine that not happening in in a game where you're sort of coming up with basically a new story within that world like how much control would yeah. anyone really have or like how much do they cede or how much is like I, I, I would be so interested just to know how all of that like interweaves and what it then leads to. I guess it's easier for them making the old republic because that's pretty much definitively non-canon now. Like, yeah, they are just they're they're basically making a big 
fan game. Mm-hmm. My, my guess would be that it's a motive haven't made a game before. Mm. Um, they are a new team um, assembled, you know, to, I guess, like to make EA, new EA games. And this was made in, uh, the, in two years, Battlefront 2. Um, like how much time is that really yeah. to how, how what what scope does that give you to create a big single player i don't know but it definitely feels like there are bits missing from it like mm. it doesn't feel like you really get enough of the character motivations or spend enough time with them to really understand what they're about and like that it's a there's a there's a, it's a noticeable lack of that as well like you don't spend enough time with them on the journey for it for it for you to feel anything when the journey suddenly takes a left turn like that's a big problem. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it could be a, a Lucasfilm story group thing. I'm not sure. But like, um, I do agree with you on the canon thing. They've got some very bizarre ideas, like Han Solo's missing wife and all of that shit. I just couldn't be doing with any of that when I was reading the comics. But yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a terrible idea. Genuinely terrible idea. Oh, Han Solo used to be married. Now he's divorced. It's like, why? 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 Why are you even telling Han Solo stories? I mean, yeah. But like, there's the other thing about it, which is that do you remember? Do you remember back in the mists of time, about a month ago, um, when EA were sort of talking about the decision that they made about Visceral, mm. um, and that they were sort of citing audience demands as to, or you know, p- the way that the market was sh- shaking out in yeah. terms of what they had decided to prioritise. Um, and so I would, another thing that I would really be interested in is how much, I mean, you know, you buy a thing and, you know, you, you would maybe hope for a longer single player experience or, you know, whatever else. But also, I genuinely wonder how many people spend a bunch of money on a Star Wars project and just want to have the minimum time to Vader, you know, like that's hmm. who they want to play, that's what they want to do, or hmm. like, you know, I want to be Luke, I want to be Han, I want to, you know, like, and, and so maybe I, I would also just be interested in knowing whether it's economically feasible to put money in into a, an, a, a new element of that or whether ultimately people just want to be the people that they grew up on and that's not to excuse any of it it really is just as a kind of I'm so interested to know that stuff and so absolutely unlikely to ever know it. I remember when (laughs) Chris used to talk about Star Wars Galaxies and that wasn't one of those things that it kind of got ruined when the team that made it decided that everybody wanted to be Jedis and so everyone basically became Jedis instead of just a janitor in some shitty space station mm. with no with no actual wider role in a big war between magic men. Yes. I know Star Wars. <laughs> Cuz isn't hang on cuz isn't Leia also force sensitive and she could have gone on to be a Jedi but she was just like, "Do you know what? No, we're going to do something else." It's like it's not I'm going to go into middle management. <laughs> I could be in charge of this entire rebellion effort, right? Yeah, I mean fair enough. Yeah. Um I, I, Whereas what, Luke's just off on an island holiday yeah, somewhere. Just He's just like, oh, years. I feel really sad because I made a bad decision that one time that wasn't really on me. Oh. <laughs> so when I mentioned Battlefront on um, Twitter, <laughs> Chris is really we've that. already established he's not listening. <laughs> so when I I tweet about the length of Battlefront, someone said to me like they dispute how much uh, emphasis publishers put on multiplayer versus single player in terms of how interested people are in them he uh says that like maybe that 
the kind of like we're kind of taught that multiplayer is the the big important thing but that maybe a single player is, isn't a complete waste of time and like i don't know it's 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 hard to tell but like um i suppose we've been sport a little bit by doom and wolfenstein but yeah. i i also i also wonder i mean my dad used to play call of duty games and he just played them for the campaign i only played them for the campaign my little brother plays the multiplayer mm. like i mm, i i have no I have no idea, like what the what the split is there, but it seems like they just try and get away with the minimus minimal possible um, campaign offering, and that's not very good. It's just, I mean, why would you buy the game just for that? And it seems like even going back to Call of Duty Four, I think you could justify paying forty pounds to play that campaign. Yeah, I mean, I definitely bought Call of Duty Four for the campaign, and the multiplayer was just like I wasn't into FPS multiplayer much back then, but mm. that was a thing that I really enjoyed. And Same so, here, yeah, yeah. That is suddenly that become became like but I don't think I'd ever buy a Call of Duty specifically for multiplayer. No. Like if there was a good Call of Duty campaign that I was interested in and God knows it's been nine years since I last enjoyed a game in that series. Was that Modern Warfare two? Uh, Modern Warfare one. Right, yeah, that was ten years ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um although I did like Modern Warfare two sing uh, co op thing. Oh yeah, co-op side stories. Yeah, special ops. They yeah, they were amazing, but the campaign itself was kind of garbage. Hmm. It's interesting because after playing Doom, which is about ten, twelve hours long, like there's plenty of gain there, and I don't, I don't know, I don't think they, they think that players don't have the patience or anything more than five or six hours, but it strikes me as just bad value. So I think that there's maybe two things there, and one of them is just that if that multiplayer is maybe more likely to get people to come back again and again and find ways to more easily monetize that time Mm. and that attention and oh would you like a new map pack would you like Mm. a new mode would you like new skins would you like new cosmetics in a way that single player doesn't even if it's a a single player product that you really love or evangelize or play multiple times it it will never if if a multiplayer hooks you in it'll get more of your time and it'll be more you know Mm. maybe more valuable to the to the company which is one thing and then there was another thing that i've completely forgotten so i'm just going to gloss over that (laughs) now so sure no it's okay (laughs) it's okay you know they they could have just not made one you know so on that level you can argue that it's in there and the multiplayer has while obviously the the i mean at least the story around the launch isn't very positive they have put a lot more maps into this one and you know they've got months of free content rolling out like it's not um you know it's not a complete disaster by any means and you know it's it's in there but yeah it's just more just what it could have been you know i've remembered the thing and it was mostly just a call of duty point which is that Activision doesn't support the sports scene for things like that have aged out and so mm. you if you want to play competitively or if you want to benefit from the money that they're throwing at it or tournaments or whatever you need the you need the current year's version because there yes. is no scene for last year's or whatever so but obviously that doesn't translate over to Battlefront it was more just a kind of that's another reason that there's that impetus to buy multiplayer right, yeah. in certainly in um call of duties it would certainly be interesting to know like where the general where the general kind of buyers interest lies is it with more are they more attracted by the campaign or the multiplayer stuff or 
yeah. and has that changed over the years? Because, you know, like you say, it probably has. Like, you know, your brother and my brother are both buying Call of Duties for the multiplayer specifically. Yeah. Um, and I've stopped playing the single player. Yeah, I stopped playing the campaigns. Black Ops. No, Modern Warfare 3 is the last one I played. That was but so then I ago. bought Bad Company 2 specifically for the multiplayer mm. because I enjoyed the beta of that so much. I was like, and then the fact that that had quite a lengthy, decent single player campaign was sort of a bonus to the happened that was quite um uh, i i would never really expect that from battlefield though battlefield has always you know when it 1942 was a multiplayer only mm. game like yeah that- but it did get like because battlefield 3 and 4 like were both i mean they weren't great campaigns but they you know were reasonable length if i remember they're about six hours each yeah yeah i, I mean they were both longer than i was prepared to play them for right so. yes so, Pip, um, you look like you're going to say something. No, so I, it was more just that I was suddenly uh, struck by the, the fact that we've probably been approaching this as people who have access to all of these things. Yeah. And so, you know, because I, I actually bought the uh, bought Battlefront 2 for someone, and so I was reminded of the fact that, you know, in the days before I worked in games journalism, there would probably have been one 40 to 50 quid game per year that I would buy mm. and mine that out and the rest would just be sort of frittered on smaller things or you know itch products or like you know just um, or even just mining back through things that I was still playing from ages ago or free to play stuff like mm. it would you know like if I'd bought Battlefront 2 or if I'd bought Call of Duty that year like that would then make everything else inaccessible to me by mm. default right yeah, that's actually the approach I've taken as well. Because I, I actually bought Battlefront Two for my little brother for Christmas, um, so I, I've, I'm aware of that as well. But I was, I was kind of thinking of myself as a younger man and like when I would buy. I, you know, I bought pretty much every Star Wars game until I became a games journalist because unless I knew they were crap from reading the reviews. So, you know, the Jedi Knight series, I bought all of those at full price and you know like you got a great multiplayer in that as well as a pretty lengthy single player um so i was kind of thinking of of it as if i was focused on the single player as i always have been how would i feel about this and that's and that's where i ended up i just thought well this is very slight and kind of disappointing i think the the thing that i was meandering to with that was partly just that maybe it depends on what your group of friends play as well because i mean looking at this year's slate of things that are multiplayer but have single player components I would probably have gone for Destiny 2 and in large part because that's where my friends are as well is it being a good game right that was the one I spent 70 or 80 pounds on to get that plus all the expansions or whatever because it was like yeah no that's the thing everyone's going to be playing so it's the thing that has value to me yeah Mm, whereas if, if my mates were far more into Star Wars and I was just looking for the way to hang out with them, mm. right? Maybe Battlefront would be the thing, and I, I'd take the sting of single player because it would be worth it for the ability to hang out. I, I think maybe I'm just being quite woolly with this, but like I'd be interested to to hear from people as to like whether you know wh- the factors that might play into that, like not the same loot box conversations because we've had so many of those, but like the more the more sort of to do with whether you feel you got value for money for the thing mm. that it is rather than the things it's asking you to buy. Hmm, interesting. 
Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you should drop us a line, I guess. Shall I give those details now? Kaboom. Letters at PCGamer.com. Yep. You can tweet us at PCGamerPod as well. We'd like to know what you think about that. Um, you can also drop us a line in Discord. Um, we'll look to uh, read some of those out on the next uh, podcast. If you have any thoughts on that, definitely like to hear uh, what you think. I'm, I'm well aware that with Battlefront, I'm probably in the minority of people who are interested in the single-player stuff, but it's... I don't know. It's it's still know. yeah. A, a Star Wars story seems like a big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's original Star mm. Wars fiction that doesn't feature in a large part the characters that you know and love. It's its own original thing, and on that level, it feels like it could be more. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to defend it. It was more just like trying to look at all the different yeah. sides of the cube, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a mass market game, so I guess we'll see. Anything uh, you want to add before we wrap up? You've got a new issue out, haven't you? Yes. New-ish, anyway. Yeah, no, this Thursday, last Thursday. Last Thursday, yes. Yeah, it's got it's got the Far Cry 5 on the cover. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good, and there'll be another one out uh, in about three weeks, won't there? There will be, yes. <laughs> you definitely sound like a man who edits a magazine. I remember what, I remember what that's like. It's anyway, like your... The issue's pretty good, and if you buy the print version, you get a copy of Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. And it'll, just be, get that? it'll be our Game of the Year stuff as well. So you That's get next to issue, hear. yes. Oh, is that ne- That's hang next on. issue? Which one are we doing? What's the one well, no, that we're the, talking about? The one about? we're making now yeah. is the one that will be Game of the Year stuff. The one yeah. that's on shelves now Oh, I thought we were teasing the next <laughs> Oh, God, no. If you go to WH Smith's, there will be a magazine there with yeah. PC Gamer on the title. Uh, yeah. Please please buy that. That would be good. Please buy it because it just justifies the dumb month I've had. And also it will tell you what's in it on the also front and in the contents. It. So yeah. thus negating any of this. That's very true. You can also um, uh, subscribe for uh, Money Off at the moment as well. If you go to myfavoritemagazines.com or .co.uk, you can, if you're a US or a UK reader, you can get... Um, uh, like 30% a, off your print subscription. Yes, in the UK, in the US, I have no idea. It's, uh, it's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap, yes. Um, so those are things you can buy, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.